right, the start of something special right here, man. Let's go. Number one fantasy player right here. Got past the line. Shut up. Know the rules. I just want to say this to you. Right now, best in the game. I know. Welcome, everyone, to the PAT Fantasy Football Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Mackins, and I am joined by my co-host, as always, Sam Hoppin. We are back together again in the Windy City. Feels like it's been a while since we've been in the same room, the, the three of us, us two and our producer Garner over here. Well, I was going to say we were in the same room together last weekend, but yes, including our producer Garner, it has been a minute since we've all been together. It's good to see you Wait, guys. We did the remote pod though last time, right? Yes, but we were at a bachelor party together. Oh, yeah. Okay. Everything's blurring together. We were, Training not, camp is finally here. Not only were we in a room together, we were in a raft together, streaming down the rapids of the great northern Wisconsin Menominee River, which doesn't <laughs> yeah. hold a cake to Denver yeah. water rafting. But I digress. Let's get into it. Training camp is here. Hard Knocks yes. is here. Yes. Football is here. Yes. We are back. I'm so thankful. I'm, I'm really excited for this episode because we're doing something a little bit different. Sam and I are going to go back and forth convincing each other that we should draft certain uh, boring players. And we're going to see if these arguments actually move the needle at all. Uh, and as always, we're going to do a relevant slash irrelevant news headlines. Eventually, we'll come up with a better title for that. And we're going to start off with our kickoff question. And this game is underway. So the kickoff question for this week, being that we want to help our listeners win fantasy championships, win more fantasy games week to week, uh, as you are prepping or cramming in August for your mock drafts or your real drafts coming up, we thought to ask each other, what are some of your favorite under-the-radar tools to use for draft prep? And I'll let you start, Sam, because I think you've got way more tools <laughs> that you uh, utilize than I do. Yeah, so there are a couple of things that I like to use, particularly um, if you're a Reddit enthusiast, you are likely familiar with Beer Sheets, but this is a, a guy on Reddit who basically puts together a very data-heavy rankings list for players. He goes through positional scarcity for each guy, sort of what the value left at each position is when you draft a certain player, all that sort of stuff. It's it's very complicated. He doesn't share his secrets, but you can customize it for any type of league that you want. Super flex, PPR, non-PPR, all that sort of stuff. Um, I've been using that for a couple of years and is a fabulous tool. I think another thing too for, again, specifically people in redraft leagues that allow draft pick trading, the football guys pick trade calculator is a useful tool if you're trying to wheel and deal draft picks like I have in the past. If your league mate is looking for sort of a quantitative view of the edge that they're going to get by trading certain picks, you can finagle the pick trade calculator to potentially work in your favor. And lastly, if, if you like making your own rankings, which I strongly encourage all of our listeners to do because it's a good exercise to see who you're higher and lower on, where they fall in versus ADP. And a great tool to use for that is Cheat Sheet War Room. They have a lot of custom customization you can use, able to drag and drop players into place as opposed to 
you know, using an Excel and updating numbers left and right, which I, I am a habit of preacher and still using that. But again, I've used Cheat Sheet War Room in the past and is a great resource that I really like. Yeah, I'd have to say I am not proficient in Excel. <laughs> uh, that's not in my resume. So I might have to take a look at this Cheat Sheet War Room to see if I can uh, move my rankings up and down more quickly. Um, so I don't use as many under the radar tools, uh, but I will plug a couple. The first one I'll plug is Pro Football Reference, which I think is a good tool, particularly because it's just the raw numbers. If you want to look up what a player did last season or over their career, uh, literally what I do is just Google that player and then Pro Football Reference. It's always the top result. And then you can get a good look at what they've done over their career. There are additional stats that a lot of fantasy football podcasters will use, such as those yards per reception or yards per target, what their catch percentage was. And you can start to see, you know, how the yards and touchdowns break out into more on average uh, statistics that can be a little more indicative of their, their performance as a player, as opposed to just taking, you know, how many fantasy points they scored and trying to predict what happens next year. And yeah. If you're a person who likes to dive into the data yourself and create spreadsheets and do all sort of that, that sort of stuff. Pro football reference is a great place to go. You can, you can do a lot of splits home, home versus away indoor versus outdoor. You can do player searches to see, okay, over the past 10 years, how many guys have had 250 carries and 50 catches in a season. And there are just, again, a lot of great things that you can do in pro football reference to, again, do a lot of these lookups and see who some of the players are and what their stats are from the past. And the last tool I want to plug here, which I know, Sam, you didn't want me to do it, but I'm going to plug Sleeper again at Sleeper HQ, not getting paid for this. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of you have used Sleeper and it's becoming more popular. But the thing I love the most about Sleeper is if you have a keeper draft, whether it's one keeper, multiple keepers, or even a dynasty, you can create mock drafts, drafts like before you even start the draft, manually put players in the spots where they're being kept so you can put them at the bottom which means they're removed from the player pool or you can put them in the specific pick where they have to be taken if you're sacrificing a certain round draft pick and then you can just copy those draft boards multiple times so you have a bunch of mock drafts to run through and they go super quickly because you're drafting against the sleeper adp that's my favorite uh, mock draft tool uh, the past couple of years so we'll see if it can benefit me a little bit more than it did last year. Uh, so let's move on to our news headlines. Yeah, so our irrelevant one, again, it's, you know, championing Jordy Nelson, who signed a one-day contract to retire with the Packers. We are obviously all Green Bay homers. He was one of the best dominant I don't know why I don't know why I don't know why I said best dominant. Well, he's but... the best of the dominant, right? <laughs> he's the, one of the best wide receivers in fantasy over the past decade. He's you know real gym rat, scrappy guy. Um, I think it's workout warrior, not gym rat. <laughs> Let's not get into the semantics. But Jordan Nelson had a great career. It was a shame he had to spend one year in Oakland uh, and sort of tarnish his entire career <laughs> that way. But uh, again. Started as a Packer, is ending as a Packer, just the ultimate wide receiver for fantasy the past several years. Yeah, the, these one-day contracts have become a big deal lately. It's 
it's fascinating to me. I mean, you have Jamal Charles came back like after being a nobody for two years in fantasy and retired with the Chiefs. Uh, Steven like, Jackson just came back and signed with the Rams too. <laughs> so he came out of retirement just to sign a contract and retire. It's it's really finding out you know which players go back to their one true love in terms of a team. And Marshawn Lynch, I think, is still someone who hasn't done this yet. So it'll be interesting. Does he go with Seattle or does he say, fuck that, uh, I'm going to sign with Oakland because that's my hometown? Um, I don't know. I think he might go back to the Buffalo Bills. Oh, could do the Bills too. <laughs> <laughs> totally forgot about that. <laughs> Uh, well, anyway, that's our uh, non-fantasy impact uh, headline, but let's get into a more relevant one, which this happened with, over the past couple days, and it's the fact that Deontay Foreman, who you sniped for me in uh, our mock draft, was now released, or what I, I would like to say cut, by the Texans <laughs> this week. So, you know, for you, Sam, how do you feel about having a guy who's not on our, or wasn't on our <laughs> roster for a couple days on your team? And how much more valuable does this make Lamar Miller, who still is on the Texans? Yeah, so this was obviously a fairly surprising bit of news to many in the industry. I think the reasoning for the Texans was they didn't like his work ethic or something like that, which is why they cut him. And a lot of people automatically went to, oh, now they're going to try and trade for Melvin Gordon. But it seems like they're just looking for a, a new backup for Lamar Miller and Lamar Miller seems to be their guy. So I I don't know. I'm, I'm having trouble because this clearly shows that the Texans are all in on Lamar Miller. And he, he's, he's, he's a guy that we should have given to each other of making a boring player sexy. But yeah, I just – I still don't think he has the ceiling that some of these other mid-round guys like Miles Sanders or Tevin Coleman have – Mm-hmm. though he's got the high floor and doesn't have the guy like Deontay Foreman creeping down his back to potentially steal the workload from him in the future. So again, Deontay Foreman was a trendy pick as a late round sleeper, again, to potentially take that workload from Miller. But I I, I don't know. I'm just not – I'm still not sold on – Lamar and don't have any excitement towards drafting him. Yeah, I'm definitely not too excited about him. And if you guys just heard that uh, notification from Sam, that's because we found out Deontay Foreman claimed off waivers by the Colts. <laughs> Bazinga. <laughs> so your question in here in our notes, does this spell doom for Marlon Mack? Of course, I'm pissed about it <laughs> because now there's no chance that I think I'll have him on any of my teams. Uh, Deontay Foreman still now on an NFL team could still provide value to your rosters in those mid late rounds, but now he's on a team with Naeem Hines, who everyone thinks is going to be this potential breakout uh, pass catching running back, a la maybe a Duke Johnson. And you've got Marlon Mack, who's supposed to be the de facto starter workhorse, but you've got two guys who we project are talented and could take away a lot of reps from him. This has me really worried about him within that tier of other late second, early to mid round running backs. And I see myself more – I'm more likely to take those other guys over Mac at this point. Yeah, I I actually actually just wrote that in there just to be a little facetious because I like giving a shit about Marlon Mack and anyone on the Tennessee Titans. Um, but I actually wouldn't read too much into it because it could just be that they're not totally impressed with Jordan Wilkins and how 
he's yeah. progressed. I mean, he was actually someone who I was going to mention as a potential like late, late deep sleeper. Yeah. Like, like he's getting drafted in like the 19th or 20th round, obviously mm-hmm. going undrafted, but he could have been the handcuff to Marlon Mack. And if he steps in and gets that workload, then he certainly could be worth something. But I think this is, again, potentially them not being totally comfortable with Jordan Wilkins. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Spencer Ware is injured, who they brought in this mm-hmm. offseason as yes. well. So, you know, Deontay Foreman's not even a guarantee to make the roster. Like, he could get cut <laughs> again in the next couple of weeks. So, yeah. you know, I, I you would think if, if Foreman and, and Wilkins are sort of on the same level, they go with Wilkins because he's – He's younger. He's a little cheaper. He hasn't gone through an Achilles injury, so mm-hmm. I, I I wouldn't be totally worried about Marlon Mack with this signing. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better. But <laughs> well, I'm already good on my convincing <laughs> game. So should we get into making boring players sexy? Yeah. So let, let's give a little context around this, and I'll let you start with your first player when we when we dive in, Sam. But uh, this came out of the fact that when we're you know, going through our rankings and we're picking what guys we want to draft. There's a lot of talk about, you know, get your guys or pick out the guys that you like and reach for them if you want them. Uh, but that naturally makes it so you kind of ignore other players because they're not exciting. They have, they might have like ADP that sounds right for them, but you're just not even thinking about them when it comes to your spot in the draft, especially if you know what your uh, spot in the draft is already. And so there are just players that are not on my radar at all. And Jarvis Landry is one of them. Sorry, I kind of stole your thunder to the reveal of this first player. But basically, I want you to convince me why I should consider drafting Jarvis Landry in my drafts. All right. So let's go on a little journey. Back when he was on the Miami Dolphins, he was a perennial PPR star. Now, Again, for context, we generally talk in terms of half PPR for the majority of our discussions on this podcast. Now, he finished as a top 20 wide receiver last year with only four receiving touchdowns. And this was despite his lowest grade per PFF for receiving last year across his five-year career. He only had a 59% catch rate. And before last year, he averaged 75% catch rate in all four years with the Dolphins. Last year, he actually had his highest yards per reception at 12.0. So, you know, the Browns were using him as more of a deep threat player. He was getting a lot of bombs from uh, Baker Mayfield, but he had the fewest yards after catch of his career. So, again, a lot of people are scared off of Jarvis Landry because Odell Beckham Jr. is there. and He's going to steal the show. They have Nick Chubb and... David Njoku, potentially Antonio Callaway, taking all the spotlight away from Jarvis. But having OBJ there will likely push Jarvis Landry into being the primary slot receiver once again, which is where he thrived. He was the wide receiver 7 in 2017, the wide receiver 14 in 2016, and the wide receiver 12 in 2015. So in the last three years of his career at Miami, he was performing excellently. Now, granted, he was the top target there and didn't have a ton of competition, but he performed well. He had the seventh most targets last year, and he just wasn't totally efficient with them. He 
has the opportunity now to get into the slot where he excels, get some of those short-range targets that are much easier to catch. And again, I, I think he could very well be a viable wide receiver too. He may not give you the huge games, but he has a solid floor. So according to ESPN, he had the 23rd best consistency rating last year, which was just behind Mike Evans. So Mike Evans is a top 10 guy right now, and he was just about as consistent as he was on, you know, throughout the entire year. Not to mention, he has never missed a game in the five years he's played. And that is huge in fantasy football. The best ability is availability. Yes. So if you want a guy, you know, he's sort of like Matt Ryan, like Matt Ryan never misses games. If you want a guy who you know is going to start all 16 games, he's going to be your guy. So, you know, I, I think he's actually worth a sixth round pick, seventh round pick. If you're, if he's your third wide receiver, maybe throw him in the flex. He has the ability to have those boom games, but I don't think he's, is going to kill you. Not to mention Hugh Jackson is like totally gone now. <laughs> like the first part of the season, he was still sort of there yeah. with the Browns. But again, I, I think again, the emphasis here is the fact that he's going, he's going to be going back into the slot. He's that's where he's been the best. I mean, he's been the best slot receiver in the game since he joined the league. So I think that's convincing enough. Yeah. And well, and Todd Monken made a late round sleeper out of Adam Humphreys. So in the Tampa offense, so I wonder what he can do with Jarvis Landry in the slot here. Um, my question for you is, is he actually going in the sixth or seventh round? He's going in the sixth round right now. Current according, ADP, according to fantasy football calculator is okay. the 604. I need to do more mocks on fantasy football calculator. Cause <laughs> I think I dominate in those drafts, but yeah, cause I think I was seeing him more in like the fourth or fifth in, in, uh, like sleeper mocks, and I don't know which one to really believe, but that's another conversation. So now I have a wide receiver who's getting drafted later than Landry. Whoa, 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 whoa. Did I convince you? Are you going to take Jarvis well, Landry? Now? If I have a pick at the right spot, I will. But based on all the mocks I've been doing, I'm in like the fourth pick, and he's never come back to me there unless I'm drafting him in like the fourth round, which seems a little too pricey. But if he was there in the sixth round I or, the, or like mid to late fifth, I'd be very happy with him. In a flex. So All right, sure. Check one for Sam. <laughs> All right, so my guy. We're starting with another wide receiver. He's drafted on average a little bit later than Jarvis Landry, and his name is D.D. Westbrook, or as I like to call him, King D.D.D. King D.D.D. So King D.D.D. or D.D. Westbrook, I went all the way back to his college career because he's got two years in the NFL to his name so far. So Right off the bat, we have the potential for a third-year breakout as, a, as the wide receiver position. <laughs> Don't roll your eyes at me. <laughs> um, his PFF scouting report from 2017 says he has great speed, great route running, so he's explosive out of his breaks and cuts, and he has great after-the-catch ability. We'll come back to that. And he has strong hands as well. His player comp back then was Marvin Harrison, which I'm not saying that he's going to become Marvin Harrison, but yeah, there are some a bit of a stretch. There are some eerie similarities there, and he'd have to make up for some of his weaknesses when it comes to 50-50 balls and things like that to become a Marvin Harrison type. But let's look at his stats with Jacksonville last year, where he actually played a full complement of games. He was uh, a little bit injured in his rookie season, so he didn't have that full opportunity to produce. Uh, last year, he's on the field for 77.5% of snaps. 
89% of those snaps came from the slot. So he's being used in an area where route running and speed is really important. Uh, his 2017 target share was 22% when he was on the field. So that's pretty good for uh, slot wide receivers are concerned in 2018. He's averaging uh, over six targets a game. And coming back to that after the catch ability, he averaged 5.6 yards after the catch, which was 13th among wideouts last year. So you've got a guy who has a lot of big play ability in D.D. Westbrook uh, coming out of the slot. Now let's think about the situation for D.D. Westbrook. There's a new offensive coordinator there, and his name is John Filippo. He served as the Vikings offensive coordinator in 2018 after spending uh, the two prior seasons as the Philadelphia Eagles quarterbacks coach, someone who might have a little familiarity with the new quarterback in Jacksonville, Nick Foles. I think that familiarity can go a long way. I think that they have the potential to run a heavier pass offense. Yes, they have Leonard Fournette there, but Leonard Fournette has potential to break down. He passed so much in Minnesota that he got fired for it, but now he's in Jacksonville. I think there's an overall upgraded QB here, and there can be a lot of high percentage throws coming from Nick Foles towards the slot uh, position. He has little to no competition at this position with the only other uh, real competition at, for targets is Marquise Lee, who's coming back from injury. And the last thing I'll say on Westbrook is his value and really the purpose for your team. His ADP is the 40th wide receiver and 100th overall, according to Fantasy Pros. And so that's really an early to mid ninth round pick. You're drafting him as your wide receiver four or your wide receiver five as a bye week fill-in. His yards per reception last year is 10.9. So I think based on that, he has upside across the situation. Uh, his talent and the stats that he's had over the past two years, his upside is 90 to 100 receptions and 1,000 plus yards. A real Golden Tate type of wide receiver. not So not a Marvin Harrison, but Golden Tate type at great value, where in previous seasons we were drafting Golden Tate at his peak in like the fourth, fifth round. Wow. You did your research. Yeah, I, I came with it. I wanted to be like, I am going to convince both myself and you of D.D. Westbrook. And obviously, he's getting drafted later, too, which makes the argument easier, I think. Yeah, I mean, there there are still a couple guys going around him, like Curtis Samuel, uh, Marvin Jones, that I think I prefer prefer a little bit more. The the, the DiFilippo ad addition for the Jaguars certainly helps. I think, you know, the, the issues I have are, you know, Nick Foles isn't anything to write home about. He's been good in place of Carson Wentz, and he had that 27 touchdown to interception season a couple of years yes, ago. Yes, he did. <laughs> <laughs> but if you look at the people he was targeting when he was in Philadelphia, it was – the big guys like Alshon Jeffrey and Zach Ertz, where he could just throw the ball up and hope that the guy could come down with it. I don't, you know, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I don't think he was targeting Nelson Aguilar or Golden Tate that often in the past couple of years. So I worry how much Foles is going to target them. I think this also might be something similar to the Bills last year, like Kelvin Benjamin was just becoming the guy for the Bills. And I figured you'd say that. <laughs> I don't really have a counter argument, but I figured that's why you didn't like Westbrook because he's right now Westbrook is the de facto guy there. So he has to get all these stats. Like and someone's got to catch balls. And but people like, are just slotting him into this. Like 
Marquise Lee is still there. Keelan Cole, DJ Chark. They added Chris Conley. Like, there are all a bunch of guys that are just, like, guys as receivers. Like, they're all – none of them are really that great. Now, again, you're taking a later-round pick on him. But, again, would you rather have a guy like Curtis Samuel, who I just mentioned, who has a former MVP throwing him the ball – and showed a lot of promise at the end of last year, or even a Marvin Jones who has Matt Stafford who throws a shit ton over. <coughs> Jesus, I think that's a sign that you are trying too hard to not like D.D. Westbrook. I think that I think that Marvin Jones, Marvin Jones, and Curtis Samuel are both going to get drafted before D.D. Westbrook, like quite a bit higher. I think that the hype on Curtis Samuel is so high that he's going to be going well before D.D. Westbrook's off the board. And maybe it's not your first choice, D.D. Westbrook, but I think you shouldn't be scared of taking him because of everything I've laid out and because D.D. Westbrook isn't Kelvin Benjamin. Like, Kelvin Benjamin, despite, I mean, yes, he was two biscuits away from being a tight end, (laughs) but also I don't think he cared about playing football much. And I don't know that about, I don't know that one way or the other about D.D. Westbrook, but... I think your point saying that there are uh, just a lot of guys like Jags, just a guys, no pun intended, (laughs) uh, are on this team, but he's has, he has the most reps from last season. And I think that goes a long way in him, you know, knowing or just having that spot on the team and and the first, like he's the de facto guy that's going to get those looks early on. No, it's, you made some, again, you made some good arguments. Like I, I won't shy away from drafting him, but there are some guys around there that I'm certainly more lenient on. So the next guy that I have to convince you of is a guy that I told you a couple weeks ago is someone that we should avoid in fantasy drafts. <laughs> so you're really putting me in a pickle here. And that guy is Alshon Jeffrey. Now, one of the main points that I made with Jeffrey was the fact that he got injured a lot. There were very few seasons where he played all 16 games and sort of the opposite of Jarvis Landry. Like, you could almost bank on Alshon Jeffrey missing a couple of games. That said, in the three years of his career where he's played all 16 games, which is 2013, 2014, and 2017, he has averaged a 12th place finish among receivers, including two top 10 years. So that is absolutely fantastic. Since joining the Eagles two years ago, He has averaged more points per game for fantasy with Carson Wentz in the lineup than without Carson Wentz. So, again, Carson Wentz is the guy this year. He's expected to be healthy. It was like a point or two. So it wasn't a major difference, but it was still more points per game than with Nick Foles or some of these other guys. A lot of people have high expectations for Wentz. He's going to be slinging the ball around, all that sort of stuff. Last year, he actually had over 60 receptions for the first time in four years. So, again, it's been a while since he's been one of these top guys. I mean, 2017 was obviously the last year where he played all 16 games and posted a top 15 performance. But, again, I know we're typically a half PPR podcast, but do you have any guesses as to how many years in a row – Alshon Jeffrey has posted over 10 PPR points per game. Five. If you're bringing it up, it's not zero, so five. It's close. It's six. 
And you want to know how many other players? No one. Any uh, <laughs> that <laughs> is not guess. that no is one. not correct. Want to know how many other active players have a stretch of years at least as long as that? There are eight. Eight other players currently in the NFL have averaged ten points per game every season for at least the last six years. So. Even when he's not healthy, he's got a f- high floor in the games that he plays. And, you know, it, it's I, I'd rather have some guys that, you know, when he's not playing, you know you're not going to start him. You're going to sit him, and you're going to be able to fill in D.D. Westbrook or Jarvis Landry. But when he is playing, he's got that high floor. He's... He's going to get the targets. He he is the number one receiver. He might not be the number one target getter behind Zach Ertz, but he is the number one receiver on that offense. And again, with the with the way Carson Wentz is expected to play this year, I I am starting to convince myself even that Alshon Jeffrey might be more towards being a value in drafts this year. Okay, I have two follow up questions. Um, what was his last injury, if you know, by chance? Uh, well, three questions. How many games did he miss based on that last injury? So he missed the first three games of 2018 with a hurt shoulder. Now, he played the whole rest of the season and actually played through the playoffs with broken ribs. So, again, a, a lot of people remember the missed catch that he had against the Saints at the very end there. Yep, don't want him. <laughs> <laughs> but he's he's healthy by all accounts right now. I, again, the fact that he's able to even play through injuries like this, the fact that he played through the entire 2017 season with this injury that allowed, you know, caused him to miss three games at the beginning of 2018 shows he's a tough, yeah, gritty player that will – It'll take a lot to take him off the field. So at least you have that going for him. My final question is how old is he now? He's 29 years old. But again, I, I think he's still got one solid year left in him. And especially in the offense he's playing on, there's there's just a lot of opportunity for them this year. When the Eagles get close to the end zone, it's not like they're going to have Jordan Howard ram it up the middle of the line to – try and get a touchdown. They're going to let Carson Wentz throw the ball and use the skills that he has, scramble around and find these big targets like Alshon Jeffrey. Yeah, I wish I, this is making me want to be in three wide receiver leagues because I want to draft wide receivers early and in the middle rounds and in the late rounds. Um, so did you convince me? I suppose so, but <laughs> uh, I'm probably going to pick Jarvis Landry over Alshon <laughs> Jeffrey because I like the upside there. No, that's fair, and I, and I would too. I think, again, the fact that he's been healthy it certainly has a great thing going for Landry. The Browns' offense is also supposed to be super explosive. Baker Mayfield in his second year. Um, again, I, I don't think you could really go wrong with each of these guys, especially with the cost that they both have. Again, they're both – they're actually going right around each other in the middle of the sixth round. So, mm-hmm. you know, take – take your pick of whichever one you want. And I don't think you'll be in a bad position. Yeah. I, I actually appreciate the analysis for both of those. Cause I've in that area, I had my sights set on Allen Robinson all off season just because of hashtag bears offense. But 
it's comforting to know there are some other decent options out there if if someone takes Robinson uh, before I can get my hands on him. All right, so let's shift to some running backs, and I want you to convince me why James White is worth a fifth-round pick right now. He's definitely worth a fifth-round pick, and I have reasons to prove it. And let's put a caveat on on top of this, because I know we do talk mostly in half PPR, but everything that I say is going to be more ratcheted up in in a full PPR setting. Of course. That's where I think most people are really, like, if you're going to target James White, it's better to target him in PPR. So from a stats perspective, obviously he had a career year last year. But when it comes to his consistency rating at per ESPN, which I know you used uh, as well, there uh, from ESPN, this consistency rating, which based on standard deviation and and fantasy points scored. He was sixth among running backs last year for start percentage. So 75% of his games, he was a startable running back in PPR leagues. His consistency rating last year was 0.373, which was better than Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, David Johnson, and James Conner, who are all going in the first round. Yeah, those are pretty good guys. Now, consistency is just, you know, based on his average points per game, that he's not going to deviate as much from that. So he's not necessarily going to score as many points as those first-round guys, but consistency is something that's good to have in a flex position player. Across 2016 to 2018, he was a bit lower because he doesn't have that career year, um, or his career year is kind of, you know, pulling that up. So, but the other two years aren't as productive, but he's still tied for 19th among running backs. And across those three years, his consistency rating is 0.455. So not as good, but he still has a better consistency rating than Mark Ingram, Devontae Freeman, Lamar Miller, Philip Lindsay, and Todd Gurley over that three-year span. So these are all guys that are going around the same spot as James White. And I think those receptions that everyone knows he gets are really giving him that floor. And a lot of people listening to this are probably like, I know I already said it, but Andrew, 2018 was his breakout year. It's an outlier. His receptions last year, he had a shit ton. But if you took 20% off of that, he would still have 69 receptions on the season. Nice. And he would have over 600 yards receiving as well. And his TDs jumped from three to seven in the receiving category and from zero to five in rushing. But Andrew, there's going to be a regression. Oh my God. I believe that there will be regression to the mean, but I don't think it's going to go all the way back to 2017. And here's why the situation that the Patriots are in are really a new era of Patriots football. Tom Brady is getting older. You can think back to the end of Super Bowl 51, where James White punched in the game winning touchdown. And I think since then, and because Brady's getting older, Belichick has started to gear this offense to be more run heavy than ever per pro pro football focus. They have the number six offensive line ranking going into 2019, thanks to offensive line coach Dante Scarnecchia. They were third in the NFL last year with 478 rushing attempts per pro football reference, which we mentioned earlier. So I really think that Brady and Bill are continuing to trust James White with the ball, both in the ground game and in the passing game. And if you look at the roster after this offseason, he has to be the second most consistent option on the field behind Julian Edelman. Rob Gronkowski's gone. Cordero Patterson, who had some big running games last season, is gone. Chris Hogan, who was trash last year, is gone. And right now, Josh Gordon isn't eligible. So you have all these players that were part of the roster last year, 
and they're not going to be there this year. Sure, they've got Sony Michelle, Rex Burkhead, Damian Harris, and even James Devlin being able to take carries away. But when the overall carries of the team are so high, I think White will get the majority of passing work for the running backs, and he's still going to get his in terms of the, uh, the ground game. And then we already talked about value. You know, he's the 25th running back coming off the board per fancy pros. His ECR right now is 70th based. So experts are actually ranking him lower than he's being drafted. So the public actually believes in James White a bit more than probably you do uh, as an expert. And right now as an expert, the consensus is saying that he is ranked behind Sammy Watkins, Lamar Miller, and Corey Davis. And I think, you know, based on those three guys, you'd rather have James White than all three of them. Just, just a hunch, but He's a, other guys he's above, Will Fuller, Christian Kirk, Tevin Coleman, Tariq Cohen. I think all of these guys are good options for your roster, but if you are looking for a very consistent option, you'll be hard-pressed to find more of a sure thing at your flex spot than a James White. Very good. Again, you came very well prepared for that argument, and I applaud your efforts. So, again, some of the, the issues I have with him, you know, I'm just sort of fading – pass catching running backs who only do pass catching because they don't have like the injury replacement upside. It's not like if Sony Michelle gets injured, James White's going to come in and get 15 carries a game. It's not like, you know, he's going to be able to become the workhorse back. And the last running back to finish in the top 24 in points per game in consecutive seasons, while having more than 70% of their points come from receiving was Darren Sproles in 2011 and 2012. So it's been a while since these receiving backs have been able to repeat the season that they've had. Now, there was a report recently stating that, you know, Sony Michelle is looking better as a pass catcher in training camp than he did last year. So <laughs> yeah, maybe, I saw this today after I wrote the, the James White argument, but <laughs> maybe he takes a step forward. Again, you mentioned all of the guys he's competing with. I do agree that the Patriots are going to be running and doing more dump offs more because Tom Brady is aging and we're all going to bite our teeth in five years when he's still winning Super Bowls. But <laughs> That, that is a good point. Again, I'm just sort of, I'm not in on these guys who the only thing they have going for is their reception upside. Now, again, in PPR, that's what you're looking for. So it's not a bad option to have as a running back too. But again, I'm not, I, I wouldn't be targeting him in, you know, using a zero RB approach because he doesn't have that total workhorse upside that some of these other players might. Well, fair enough. And you definitely came prepared with counter arguments for all my guys, which I did not come prepared with counter arguments for yours, but um, no matter, I'm That's pretty okay. convinced on James White, especially <laughs> in, a, in a zero RB situation because of the floor he provides. The idea with zero RB is that you're killing it at the wide receiver, quarterback, tight end spots, and you just need your running backs to fill, like they just need to get me like eight to 10 points every week. And that'll give me enough to win my games. So I think that James White is a consistent person. You can just set it and forget it uh, in, the, in those types of leagues with that type of strategy. All right. So my last guy that I need to convince you of is definitely the toughest one that I had to do. 
And that's Darius Geis, who tore his ACL in the preseason last year, didn't play at all in his rookie season. And he's coming back now. He's fully healthy and is a full go at Redskins camp. Who's he competing against? A 34-year-old Washed up Adrian Peterson, <laughs> one of your favorite running backs, who thinks he's gonna run for 2,000 yards this season, which isn't gonna happen. At this time last year, Geis was a fourth round pick, and now he's going in the seventh round. So you've got a three round discount in essentially the same situation. Geis, you know, obviously we don't have any information on his NFL career, but. Let's go back to his college career like you did for D.D. Westbrook because that's the most recent sample size we have. So Geis was among the best in college football at making something out of nothing, which is what he's going to need to do in this Redskins offense. So among the 170 college running backs contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage on 100 or more carries from 2015 to 2017 – Geis ranked tied for 22nd in yards after contact per attempt with 3.26 and 16th in yards per carry with 2.19. So he's getting hit at or behind the line of scrimmage and still gaining two or three yards, which is phenomenal. Now, when it came to breaking off explosive runs, few did it better than Geis over his three college seasons. So among a group of 124 qualifying running backs, Geis had the 10th, high, 10th highest percentage of his carries go for 15 or more yards, which is 10.2% of his carries. Now, Geis also earned 48.7% of his total yards on those breakaway one runs. So he's got the ability to, you know, take off for 30 yards and score a touchdown quickly. And that 48.7% of his total yards coming from breakaway runs was the sixth best mark among those 124 qualifying running backs. So he's clearly got the pedigree from his college years to be a top-level back. He's healthy now. I don't think there are as many concerns with his health. You're getting him at a three-round discount than what he was going for last year. So if if you were excited about him last year, why wouldn't you be now when you could have a starting running back on a team – in the seventh round. Wait, a couple of questions there. Is he actually the starter yet? Yeah, of course but he Adrian is. Adrian Peterson's the starter. He's going to get at least 1,000 yards if you shoot for 2,000, right? I I believe that at the end of the day, when the kickoffs start happening in week one, Darius Geis will be the number one running back on that team. Okay. Well, you mentioned if I liked him last year that maybe I'll like him even more this year, but I didn't like him last year either. So uh, mainly because he probably tore his ACL well, so before you- I had a chance to draft him. Uh, <laughs> so you're but, setting me up for failure. Okay. Man. His college career sounds great. He was a really explosive guy, kind of filled in after Leonard Fournette left. But now he's on the Redskins, and sure, he might be able to make something out of nothing, like three yards in a cloud of dust after he gets tackled. But he's probably going to get tackled like that every play he gets the ball when he's on the Redskins. Their team right now is one of the most talent-depleted rosters in the NFL – Right now, I think Colt McCoy is the de facto starter, followed behind Case Keenum and rookie Dwayne Haskins at quarterback. So I don't think many defenses are going to respect the passing attack here at all. I personally, I think Jordan Reed, who is very injury prone, is the best receiving option on that team. 
and everyone else on that team is unproven to be a consistent target. So they're going to be putting nine, maybe even 10 guys in the box to stop Darius Geis from running the football. Adrian Peterson, I don't think, is going to be a great option to run either because he's lost a step. And I like Geis' upside if he can, if they prove that they can do it and if they can get a guy to replace Trent Williams, who's been holding out. But that uh, hinders the line in terms of their uh, potential or their upside for the season as well. So it, it very much seems like an awful situation compared to, you know, maybe a David Johnson last year where the talent around him was just awful. And I don't know anything about the offensive system there, but I'm, I'm definitely not convinced. Yeah. I got to say no to one of these. I mean, I was pulling at strings here trying to come up well, with... Well, just you wait. You're talking <laughs> about pulling at strings. <laughs> I, I, we can just go into mine if, if you don't have anything else to say. My guy, which was given to me after I gave Sam his guys as a kind of a mini fuck you... Uh, is the last guy who I'm going to try to convince you all that you have to draft late in your uh, in your drafts. And that is LaShawn McCoy, the legend, the man, the myth, LaShawn McCoy. His stats last year, career lows across the board, but that means there's only one way to go, and that's up, up, up. In 2017, he still was number 30 on the NFL Top 100 players, as voted on by his peers. So he still got that shiftiness and speed locked away somewhere. I think he can bring it back in a bounce back year. The Bills have improved at O-line. They've improved at the wide receiver group with guys like John Brown and Robert Foster taking the top off the defense, which should give him more room to run. Josh Allen is a mobile QB, so that could open things up if they do a little bit in terms of the option uh, run game. More running backs on the team might sound as a negative to you, but it actually allows McCoy more time to rest and greater efficiency with his carries which if I recall when we pounded the table for Josh Jacobs, you said he didn't have a lot of carries in college, but that means he's coming into the NFL fresh. So let's talk about the value and the purpose for your team. Let's get real here. Ninth round draft pick, because of that name value, it's really hard to pass him up at this point because there is the potential for a bounce back year. He's had some of it, one of his best statistical years in Buffalo a couple of years back. And when you draft him, he's going to end up being a running back four, a running back five on your team. The first three games he plays are at the Jets, at the Giants, and versus the Bengals. Not too intimidating in terms of defenses. So I think he actually does have an opportunity to tear it up in those games. And then you trade his ass away to someone who loves the name value of an aging vet like Sean McCoy. And that name value that he brings to the table can get you a guy that you actually wanted in your drafts like we uh, in the 11th or 12th round, just flip that guy as soon as you can. That's my pitch on LaShawn McCoy. That's why I think if you're going to draft him at all, that would be why you have to draft him. So it sounds like you're saying Devin Singletary can overcome him in week three as opposed to week seven based on that easy schedule. But you're telling me that you're going to draft the guy who spoiled Tony Stark's death in Avengers Endgame on Twitter. Wait, wait, wait. That's who you want to draft? If you haven't seen Endgame yet. Oh, we are way <laughs> past the two weeks. Come on. If you haven't seen it by now, it's your own damn fault. I am not going to draft a guy with such low integrity to spoil one of the blockbuster <laughs> movies of the year. I, I think that's not the only reason he has low integrity. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. Hey, we've drafted guys like Tyreek Hill, like Ezekiel Elliott. Like these other guys who have been in hot water before, LaShawn McCoy, this is purely from a fantasy standpoint, 
draft him so he can do well in those first three weeks and trade his ass. Yeah, uh, I was. I am fairly impressed. That's stringing by... him along. You're <laughs> stringing Lashawn McCoy on your team along so you can dump him later, and then you can say that's a fuck you for spoiling Endgame for me. Yeah, the the early season potential that you mentioned, I think, is is a good strategy to go by if he does have couple good games out the gate trade them right away with a you know sell high maybe a guy who's not playing as well um but i'm staying far away from Lashawn mccoy so <laughs> i mean I, I probably am too but <laughs> the the exercise was fun nonetheless uh trying to convince you on this guy that i was like what do i do with this <laughs> yeah it was a good time so Thank you all for listening. We are going to do some listener questions next week in a mini mailbag portion of the show. So feel free to tweet us at podaftertd on Twitter. Send us an email at podaftertouchdownff at gmail.com. Or you can reach us on our personal accounts at Sam Hoppin at Andrew Mackins and at Garther. But again, had a great time today. I hope we convinced some of you to draft some of these players, even though we might not be totally convinced on Sean McCoy. <laughs> but thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. The kick is good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Second down at 10 at the 13. In other words, about 60 yards. Orton in the gun. Buckhalter right next to him. Orton bumps again to the sideline. Batted up. Oh, God! Stokely down the sideline! Can they catch him? Stokely! Wow! Touchdown, Denver! Unbelievable! Oh, my goodness! What a play!